um, as we finish the book of Job. It's been a wonderful study. Um, Job is not the easiest book to teach through, and uh, it is uh, an intense book, a very sobering book, but uh, very beneficial as we've gone through this, and I know that the Lord wants to continue to minister to us tonight through His Word. A couple of things uh, while you're turning there. Um, we do have this uh, weekend a number of things. The, the youth are being reminded, parents, uh, Friday night, middle schoolers are going to gather here from 6 to 8, and then Saturday night um, from um, 6 to 8 as well for the high schoolers, and I better check everything out. And make sure, so I am correct on that. And then on a Saturday men's, we do have men's prayer at 7 o'clock. Men's breakfast at 8 o'clock at Golden Corral, so you can join us for that. And then in the evening at 5 o'clock, the ladies' chili supper. So ladies, if you haven't signed up for that, if you can do so. And Tracy can get that and start planning for that uh, on Saturday. Sounds like a great time. Her address and, and phone number and everything's in the bulletin. And then also uh, 55 and over ladies luncheon on the 10th, that's Tuesday. And uh, so for you ladies, uh, pork roast will be provided. You can bring rolls, dessert, veggies, sign up so we know how many ladies to plan for. So that's what we got on the calendar. Remember on Sunday, three services, 8, 9, 30, 11 o'clock. And we are going to be in John's gospel and we're going to move into chapter 19. We're seeing Jesus go through a series of trials. He begins with the preliminary hearing, as we saw last week and read in chapter 18. Uh, he stood before Annas, who was, according to the Jews, the high priest, uh, the power behind the high priestly office. But according to the Romans, he would then go before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin Council, the Jewish Supreme Court. And there they began to beat him on the outside in the courtyard uh, Peter is denying the Lord. So that's where we left off last time. We're going to see that Jesus is handed over to the Romans, to Pontius Pilate, and we're going to see that John emphasizes that trial of Jesus before Pilate, and we'll look at that. So holy ground that we're on on Sunday as we see our Lord that takes on the cup of suffering death for you and for me. Uh, one other thing that I, I'd like for you to pray about, too, as well, the radio program Under the Fig Tree on Grace FM has reached so many people I feel like we have a whole congregation that's out there, uh, all the way from Wyoming, um, Laramie and Cheyenne, all the way down to Pueblo, uh, people that listen to our program and stuff. We have opportunity to actually expand our radio uh, ministry. Uh, Pastor Ed texted me this week, and uh, how many of you guys listen to Calvary Live? So some of you listen to it from 4 to 5 o'clock. It's call-in for questions uh, from uh, Tuesday through Friday. I think on Monday they have world news um, you know, update that they do um, on uh, that time slot. But I know Dave Love does Tuesday, Ed does Wednesdays, but he wants me to start taking a rotation um, on that. And with a little bit of an investment, I can do it from my office instead of having to drive down to um, Aurora. The last time I did that and filled in for Ed, um, it was on a Wednesday, so drive down there and then race back and come flying in the service about five minutes, hoping there's no traffic jams or anything like that to happen. So I just pray about it. I haven't talked in detail about them, but it, it's great to be able to have that opportunity and just praying that the Lord provides. Again, just, you know, it's not a huge investment, but uh, any investment, we always want to make sure that we're using it for the kingdom of God, and it's great to be able to, to do that, you know. Um, I remember when we started as a ministry, we, were, we couldn't hardly buy a table or a chair or anything, and um, 
And those were good times because we always rely on the Lord. We're always trusting in the Lord. Uh, where he guides, he's going to provide. And if he's opening up these doors, uh, one of the, the, the practical sides is I have the smallest office up there. It's real tiny, and to be able to, you know, adjust some things. And the desk that I have is, you know, a Walmart special. There's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, that you kind of screw together, and it's kind of falling apart and everything. Um, you know, I'm real simple. As long as I have my little refrigerator <laughs> and my filing cabinet with uh, 19 years of notes, jam-packed with notes. If there was ever a fire, I would grab my Bible and that filing cabinet <laughs> is what I would do. Of course, I couldn't get it down the steps. It's so heavy. I mean, for a tall one and having to start filling up another one. And... Um, and as long as I have that on my Mac, I'm, I'm in good shape. But we may need to change some things around. So be in prayer about that. Uh, we'll let you know um, as uh, we progress. And I talk with Pastor Ed about that. But what a privilege it would be to be able to, you know, host, uh, be right after our program. Uh, our program's on at 3.30 in the afternoon. And so it would be from 4 to 5. And uh, you know, it, it's kind of uh, interesting when you go on because, People can call with some pretty challenging questions at times. So if we do this, I want you guys to call with easy questions, all right? <laughs> Don't be calling with hard questions, all right? I'll cut you off. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Chapter 37 of Job as, um, you know, it's... It's a blessing to be able to come here and see all you guys coming out here on Wednesday night and in the middle of winter and um, Wednesday nights have become such a blessing um, to see that you guys are hungry for the Word of God, uh, to come out and go through the Old Testament like what we've been doing in the book of Job. And, and I know that God's going to bless you as you're growing in the Word of God. He's going to bless this congregation as we stay committed to the Word of God. And it's interesting because... You know, a lot of churches, um, you know, they go through a lot of uh, goals and things like that. What do we do to try to bring people in? And uh, one of the things that aren't mentioned is, you know, just teach through the Bible. And I remember when we first came to Greeley at Calvary Chapel, um, nobody knew what Calvary Chapel was about, the ministry of Calvary Chapel, and, you know, what's this verse-by-verse teaching and stuff. And I remember having some ministry leaders um, you know, telling me that, you know, if you go through the Old Testament, uh, nobody's going to come out. Nobody's going to listen. And, um, and I remember when we were really, really small, being committed, okay, Lord, you've called me to teach through the Word of God. And going through Genesis was okay, but then you start getting into those books, you know, after Exodus, Leviticus, <laughs> Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And um, it was a recipe according to, the, you know, the marketing experts and everyone else to be a disaster to happen, and your church isn't going to grow. And I remember there were some Wednesday nights where five minutes before service, wondering if anybody was going to come. And, um, and I remember one time, um, this was back in the late 90s, um, when we started in 96, so next year will be our 20th anniversary. And I remember one time just, um, just wondering, is anybody going to show up besides, you know, Sue and the kids? And... Um, and, you know, it's five minutes before service, and it was at a time where there was this new revival that was breaking out throughout the community and throughout the nation, and, 
and these churches were, you know, doing all these things with emphasis on experience and uh, packing out, you know, their facilities you know, six nights a week and things like that. And there was even one big church in this area um, that was doing that and had, you know, the Holy Ghost bartender and doing all these things. And they'd call me up and say, you know, you want to be a part of this? And I said, no, you know, I, I, just, I just can't. I'm just called to teach the Word of God is, is what God has called me to do. And I remember thinking, you know, Lord, if I, am I doing something wrong? And, and he told me that you do what I've called you to do, and I'll take care of the results. And I just want to encourage you guys that as you live for the Lord and as you're ministering, just be faithful to him and what he's called you to do. And he'll take care of the results. And that's one of the things that sometimes we can wrestle with in our ministry and and it may be applied to you to where you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord. Um, you keep giving them Jesus, okay? Parents, keep giving your kids Jesus, um, your grandkids, uh, the people at work. And you're going to see that fruit's going to abound and God's going to bless it. And uh, the world's going to come along and say, well, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. And this is a waste of time. But you do what you know to be right and what you know to be true and what you know to be noble and what you know to be praiseworthy and what you know to be, you know, beneficial for the kingdom of God. And over time, you're going to see, just as Jesus promised, that as you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit and that fruit's going to remain. And it isn't about numbers. And one of the things that I guess what I'm saying is, um, our strength isn't in buildings and numbers and budgets and all of that. It is in the Lord alone, amen, in him alone and whatever he has for us. And may we always keep that in mind, especially in the day in which we're living in. I believe that we're headed for some very challenging times as a nation in this world. And I think this world is going to get more chaotic, is going to get more confusing than ever before, and the people who are going to be used of the Lord to minister to others who are hurting and confused and upset and wondering is going to be people like you who are making the time to make sure that you're grounded in the Word of God. And as you do that, you're going to be used of the Lord in a powerful way, whether it is to your children or to your grandchildren or to your nieces and nephews, to the co-workers, to the neighbors, to other family members. And you just keep getting grounded in the Word of God. So I just want to commend you for coming out. It blesses me so much. And, and you'll see that. And, you know, I'm very, very thankful tonight because I've, I've seen some of our kids grow up in this church where we taught them. And, you know, I'm very thankful for those who are teaching in the children's ministry and, and uh, teaching with the youth and just sticking with it and teaching the kids. And they're growing up and... They're excited about the Lord, they're being used of the Lord. As we have Jamie, who grew up in this church, Leachman, who's in the Philippines and, and going to the Bible college there and going down to an orphanage, continue to pray for her. How exciting it is. Um, I was very blessed this week um, as, you know, Barbara, my own daughter, somebody was asking me, where's Barbara been? Well, she left and she's at Marietta at the Bible college right now. And, um, and kids that just are excited about Jesus, so keep praying and, and excited to see um, other young people that are here because he's the one that's going to give you that life abundantly. It is not found in the world. And it is not found in the ways of the world. 
and is not found in the things of the world, in the pleasures of the world. It is found in Jesus. And I think we're beginning to really understand that, aren't we, as we grow in the Lord and grow in his word, that he is everything, that he is everything. And he will get you through the trials and difficulties that all of us will go through in life, in those times where we're confused, in those times where we're wondering, in those times where we're hurting, that the Lord is there with us and he loves us. And he's doing a work that we don't fully understand, but we can trust in him. And that's what Job is going to come to understand. Now, what we're going to read here very quickly is Elihu has been on this discourse concerning, you know, uh, his counsel to Job. And for five chapters, we've heard uh, Elihu that uh, has been saying, listen to me and listen to my counsel and, and hear me. And he keeps repeating that. He's young, he's arrogant. And he told Job, you recall, because Job and his three friends, they finished their exchange of, of words and, and discourses and counsel. And of course, it was Job's three friends with him in the ash heap while Job is suffering that Job, you have sinned. You have done wickedly. You need to confess it before God if you want to really experience healing and if you want to experience restoration. And Job has maintained his integrity. And of course, you know that it was the Lord that said that Job is a man of, that is blameless and upright and he shuns evil. He fears God. And Job here, in the midst of his suffering, we see that he would call his three friends in chapter 16 miserable counselors. And Elihu, who's the youngest, the most arrogant, I think, of all of the counselors that have been given counsel to Job, that he says, I'm going to speak now. Job and his three friends, they've said nothing more. They were silent. So Elihu says, now I will speak up. Listen to me. And he says, Job, as you listen to me, after he rebukes the other three guys, because they couldn't prove their point. Job, you listen to me because what I have to say, I'm a spokesman for God, and I am going to, you know, give you God's, you know, words. And we see that Elihu says that, what I have to say to you is going to be beneficial, and I will not crush you, Job, like the other guys do. What did we see? That he begins to crush Job. And by the time we got to the end of chapter 34, he says, Job, answer me. And Job doesn't answer him. He talked a little bit about the grace of God, and then he talks about, you know, that Job, I'm going to call you on when you say that God isn't just, that God is just. And when you say, what good is it if you don't put your hands into the Lord, that is your life, and surrender completely to him and serve him. And it was Job that was struggling. He was hurting. And he did say, what good is it for a man if he should serve the Lord and, and praise the Lord? But it is Elihu that as he addressed that was so hard. And he said, Job, you have words of a wicked man. Job, you don't have any understanding. Job, you know what? You are without knowledge, and he's crushing Job here, and he's going to continue in this last chapter here, chapter 37, as he is talking about God's majesty. Let's begin to look at that. Chapter 37, Elihu speaking. This is the last chapter of, of counsel, and then in chapter 38, we're going to see that God speaks, and that's what's great about this book when we see him speak. Chapter 37, Elihu says, At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice, the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Now, 
God's going to show up in a whirlwind. And, and he's mentioning lightning and thundering. And at the end of chapter 36, he did. So perhaps Elihu, I imagine he's looking up and he sees the storm approaching. And he's saying, God, you know, his, his voice is like a thunder. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, verse 3. His lightning to the ends of the earth after it's a voice roars. He thunders in his majestic voice and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. And likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. So what? He is saying to, as he's given this last advice to Job, that you need to hear the thunder of his voice, Job. And we know that the Lord is going to speak to Job out of the whirlwind here. It reminds me, as he talks about the, how majestic God is, the majesty of God, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, when Moses brought the children of Israel to the mountain of God after they left Egypt, and God said, Moses, tell the people that I'm going to meet with them and get ready, consecrate themselves. And, and so the mountain of God shook, and it was on fire, and there was thunders and lightnings, and there was smoke that came from the mountain. And I think it was divine lightning and divine you know, thunder, and the people... People said, this is too much, Moses. You go up on the mountain and hear from God. But they shook. They trembled because of the, the majesty of God, the power of God. It was so awesome. They couldn't hardly take it anymore. It was so incredible. You need to, to hear the thunder of his voice, Job, and he's going to. And you need to know that God is great, and we can't fully understand him. We know, of course, that Isaiah declares in chapter 55, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's what we need to remember always, that his ways are much higher than our ways. And his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. And the implication in that, of course, is that God's ways are perfect and right and true and just. And they are. And we may not understand everything that God is doing in our lives, but he sees things from an eternal perspective and from his perfect love and that we're going to all stand together one day and say, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. And so, Job, you need to, to understand this, he's saying. And then again in verse 3, as God's voice commands the rain, and he'll go on in verse 7, he seals the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in um, their lyres. From the chambers of the south comes the whirlwind, and, and cold from the scattering winds of the north by the breath of god ice is given and the broad waters are frozen also the moisture he saturates the thick clouds he scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them oh on the face of the whole earth verse 13 he causes it to come whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. So God commands the rain and the snow, and all men will know his work, verse 7. He shows himself in creation, is what Elihu is saying. And God does show himself in creation, doesn't he? Isn't it incredible? And uh, as you look at uh, creation, we live in a part of the world that is um, very beautiful. We live in a fallen creation, 
but we live by Rocky Mountain National Park. You know, we get to get up and look at the mountains, you know, most every day uh, as we can see the mountains. Uh, and as we get towards spring, as we see life will be coming back in the trees and in the plants and, and it, the complexity and diversity of life, it testifies that there's a wonderful creator, doesn't it? It didn't happen by chance. How it's all, you know, uh, you know, the complexity of it, and it's all intertwined, the different ecosystems, uh, and it is wonderful to look at it. And Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He said, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." In other words, Paul is saying that as you look at creation, you guys who are, are worshiping the creation rather than the creator, but you look at the creation, you see that there's order, that there's, there's you know, the, the complexity of life, that somebody designed it, and there is a creator. Everybody deep down inside knows that. I know there are those who believe in evolution and all that. I think it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in a God that created the heavens and the earth. And of course, David would write that the heavens declare your glory, O Lord. The heavens declare your glory. And I don't know about you, but, it, you know, even this time of the year, sometimes in the wintertime, the sky's more clear to look out at the stars and the heavens. But if you go up in the mountains, you go camping, and you see the, the Milky Way galaxy and all the stars. Isn't it incredible? And that's what David was out in the wilderness. He's writing that. Oh, the heavens declare your glory. And then he would go on to say, what is man that you're mindful of him? In other words, what David was saying, that you would even care about us. And on Sunday, we're going to see how much God cares for us as Jesus takes on the cup of suffering and death because of his love for us. And as you really think about that, Lord, that you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me. To go through that horrendous suffering, the cat of nine tails, the beating, the, the um, you know, spitting in his face and punching him. Isaiah says that Jesus was marred more than any other man. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. So when we go to the cross and, and remember that Jesus proved his love for us, that we can trust him with our life now, whatever it is that you're going through, emotionally, physically, whatever it is that you're experiencing in difficulty and circumstances and the hurts and the pains that you're going through, he is mindful of us and he loves you and he desires to work in your life for you to just Trust in him and rest in his love. Well, we continue here in verse 14 as he's going to finish his discourse. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Why are your garments hot and when he quiets the earth by the south wind? With him you have spread out the skies strong as a cast metal mirror. And so Elihu, giving his final advice to Job, you need to stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. And we need to as well. The Bible says that be still and know that I am God, right? 
and I'll speak for myself, but it's probably true for a lot of us, when I am anxious and moving and can't stand still is when I'm going through a difficult time. And it's in those times where the Lord will say, you need to stand still, Jeff. You need to be quiet and know that I am God. And remember the marvelous works that I have done. And I always go back to the cross, the greatest work, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And with that, knowing his love for me, then I know that I can trust him with my life and whatever I'm facing, the circumstances that is before me. And know that I have the promise of heaven. And I have the Lord. People don't have that in the world. that don't have Jesus. And we do. So we always have reason to rejoice. And we always have hope. And we know that God is omnipotent as he's going to speak about that as we get into the next chapter here all-powerful, and he can work in whatever it is that we're facing. But this discourse now is finished as teach us what we should say to him, verse 19. For we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he be told that I wish to speak, if a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. Even now man cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. He comes from the north as golden splinter, with God as awesome majesty. As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment, in abundant justice. He does not oppress, therefore men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. So you need to stop addressing God the way that you have, Job, and you need to just fear him. As the storm is approaching, you know, Job did fear the Lord because that's what God said of him. The fear of the Lord is something that's not spoken about a whole lot today in the church, as you know that, and I've said that before. But we are to have a healthy fear of the Lord, just reverence God and remember that he is majestic, he's all-knowing, he cares for us. He's aware of every situation that we're going through and everything that we do. So chapter 38, finally, finally, folks, 35 chapters of, of this, you know, going back and forth. Now we get to hear God speak. And it's really important that, that you and I, when we face sufferings and difficulties or whatever it is that is before us in our life, that it's great to get, you know, godly counsel and um, to talk to others. But we need to make sure that we are listening to the Lord. He desires to speak to us. He's speaking to Job out of the whirlwind. And I know that sometimes we can think, Lord, I wish you would speak to me out of a whirlwind. But I want you to remember that when the Lord spoke to Elijah when he was in the cave, that there was the, the earthquake and there was you know, the mighty wind, there was the fire. But how did the Lord speak to Elijah in a still small voice? And the Lord desires to speak to us through his word. We have his word. And again, that's why it's so important that we be in the word of God, that we be every morning just hearing from the Lord. I want to hear from you, Lord. And he desires to speak to us in that still, small voice as he speaks to us, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, being sensitive to his leading and hearing that still, small voice of the Lord. So here's the Lord. He's going to speak to Job out of the whirlwind as he, now the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said in chapter 38, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Uh, the Lord that we get to hear from, chapters 1 and 2, we saw Job's dilemma. Chapters 3 through 37, Job's debates. Now chapters 38 through 42, we get to see 
Job's deliverance. And remember that his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far, and even Elihu, said that God was disciplining Job. Job thought that God was out to get him, that God wasn't being very just. And notice that God answered Job. He, he says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I think that's a direct rebuke against those four guys, Elihu and the other three. Who are you that give this counsel? Think that you're, you're giving it with understanding, you're, you, by words without knowledge. So some believe that it's a direct word against Elihu, which claimed to speak on behalf of God in chapter 36. Perhaps it is. We're going to see that in the last chapter that the Lord's going to rebuke Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far. And even though we saw that they would give truth that was spoken by Job's friends, they would misapply it. They would speak from human wisdom and experiences, and there was arrogance that was in that. You know, it takes real discernment and real you know, um, being sensitive to the leading of the Lord to be a good counselor to somebody, to whoever it is that you're talking to, to, to take God's word and use it in a way that's going to bring instruction and correction to them and edification and exhortation, to use it in such a way that we can help people and not be miserable counselors. And you see, these guys, they didn't care for Job. They didn't show compassion. They didn't desire to bring comfort. They just wanted to prove that they were right. So here we see that first, who gives this counsel, you know, this, you know, words without knowledge. And then now he answers Job. And now he's going to be speaking to Job. And I like what he says here. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Kind of like what he's saying is you need to man up, Job. Because I'm going to speak to you. You want to be vindicated? You wanted to bring your case before me? Now I'm going to speak to you. It's real important that as we desire to, to get answers from the Lord, that we have a heart that is humbled before him and a heart that is teachable before the Lord, that we prepare our hearts, being the man or the woman that is teachable every time that we come into this place, every time that we go to a Bible study, Every time that we have morning devotions or in our day in the Word of God, to just have a heart that is humble before God and desiring to hear from the Lord, desiring to, to have the Lord speak to our hearts. Lord, I want to prepare myself, and I want to hear what you have to say, even when it isn't easy, even when it, it isn't always delightful, even when it isn't always feel-good kind of things, when he brings that correction to us when he brings that rebuke to us, but knowing that the Lord loves us and every word that he gives to us is an expression of his love and truth to you and to me because he is truth. So Job, prepare yourself, and he's going to talk about his omnipotence, that is, all unlimited power. In verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the year? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line up, uh, upon it? To what were its foundations fastened, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So, were you around, Job, when I created the worlds? How can you, you know, um, claim that you know the works of God that you've been saying if you weren't there? When he created the heavens and the earth, 
how incredible. When I, I look at the stars, you know, in the summertime, and I think, how incredible it must have been when he spoke, and all of a sudden, the universe came into existence. And he says, were you there? Were you able to, to measure, you know, uh, and know the foundations of the earth? Do you, who determines its measurements? He's going to talk about, you know, the constellations. Were you there when I put them out? And he goes on to say here, it's so wonderful and incredible that the stars sang in chorus and the angels shouted with joy. You know, one of the things that evolutionists can't really explain is that if they say that there was a big bang that created the universe, how can an explosion create order? They can't explain that. There is definite order in the universe. There's order where there's a sun. You look at our solar system, and then there's planets that orbit the sun, and then our planet happens to be the right exact distance and uh, the rotation of the earth and the right size and all the things that you look at to give us life that we have, the, the oxygen to nitrogen ratio, the land mass to sea mass, the, uh, all this you know, uh, design that is there. It's absolutely incredible. There was a designer. There's order in the universe. And to say that, you know, a big bang explosion, it created order, how do you explain that? No, it was a design. God created it, and he saw it, and it was good. He created the heavens and the earth. And then Adam's sin and creation now is a fallen world that we live in with pains and sin and sorrow and ugliness, which Job has experienced definitely. Can you determine the measurements of the universe, of the world, Job, its cornerstone? There's some who like to think that they can. Can you, can you know my omnipotence, my, all my sovereignty, you know, Job? Do you understand all that? You know what the neat thing is going to be? This is our future. That after the millennium reign of, of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us that the worlds are going to go up in a fervent heat. We get that from the book of Revelation as you go from chapter 20 that at that time is great white throne judgment that will take place when the unrighteous dead will be resurrected. But the heavens and the earth that we now know and live in are going to go up in a, in a huge fervent heat. He, he holds all things together. He's just going to let it go. And all of a sudden in a nuclear reaction, the whole universe, all the stars, everything are going to go up. And then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be more awesome than what we see now. And we get to see that. We get to watch that. That's our future. That's incredible, isn't it, when we really think about that? So here is, you know, he, he's talking about his, you know, omnipotence again, unlimited power, you know. Um, Job, can you understand it all? You know, sometimes people, if I ever do get a radio, you know, where we're, you know, answering questions, don't call and say, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it, you know? <laughs> because then I will cut you off. <laughs> and I remember when I was a young Christian, somebody would ask me that, you know, hey, you know, can God make a rock so big, you know, talking about the omnipotence of, of God and how powerful and but, you know, can he make a rock so big? And I used to think, that, well, you know, could he really? What? And it threw me for a loop for a little bit. And um, I'd think about it once in a while. I remember a few years ago, I was listening to Pastor Chuck. And he says, people get into all kinds of, you know, worthless debates about, can God make a rock so big <laughs> that he can't lift it? And then there's a little pause, and Pastor Chuck says, 
that's stupid. And then, and then he continues teaching, and I, and I thought, you know, that is dumb. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Job, were you there when I created it all? You know, or who shut the sea with its doors when it burst forth in verse 8 and issued from the womb when I made the clouds its garments and thick darkness its, its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, and when I said, this far you have come and no farther, and here the proud waves must stop. And, and so, you know, Job, were you around when, um, you know, I set the boundaries of the sea? And it is interesting that, you know, in the Midwest, it's so fertile, isn't it, as you go in the Midwest? And the reason is, is because when you look at the, you know, land mass, the sea, you know, mass, you know, ratios, it's just perfect. And the Gulf of Mexico, that little portion of the ocean that's there, uh, as you draw a line from the tip of Texas to the tip of Florida, if that wasn't there, if that was land, do you know that the um, Midwest would be a big desert? That's God knew what he was doing. But because that ocean is there, of course, moisture gets fed up and, and uh, as the fronts come through and brings moisture up there and brings, you know, uh, rain. And then it's very fertile for, to, for us to be able to have crops and things like that. So were you there when I set the boundaries in verse 12? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it may take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From wicked their light is withheld and the upraised arm is broken. Were you around when I created the days? You know, have you ever told the sun to rise, Job? And the dawn to know its place? Will you remember that when we see the sunrise, when you start your day, remember this as we talked about on Sunday, that his mercies are new every day. And those who seek him diligently or early will find him. And I think that God is getting Job to get his focus off of himself right now and on the Lord. They get off of his own understanding to get it on the Lord and to trust in him. And to lean on him. In verse 16, have you entered the springs of the, of the sea? Have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breath of the air? Tell me if you know all of this, Job. Remember that Job wished that he was dead. He even t- talked about soul sleep. And God rebukes Job for thinking that he knows something about death. We know something about death. For us as believers, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Praise God. Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We hurt when we have a loved one that, that goes home to be with the Lord that passes away, certainly, but underneath it all, we rejoice, don't we? We have a living hope. We don't grieve as though we have no hope, as Paul would say. He didn't say we don't grieve. He says we don't grieve as though we have no hope. And he talks about the resurrection and, and talks about the rapture of the church and, and that there is hope because they were wondering, is our loved ones going to be resurrected? He says, yes, we have hope, a living hope. And we can rejoice in that. 
Job uh, understand that in verse 19 where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness where it is placed that you may take it to its territory that you may know the past to its home do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great have you entered the treasury of snow have you seen the treasury of hail which I reserve for the time of trouble for the day of battle and war by what way is light diffused or east wind scattered over the earth so remember Job you know uh, that um, you know that um, as God is speaking to him, do you understand the nature of rain? Do you understand the nature of, of you know, the hail? I store up the, the hail till when I need them for a time of war, for battle. And of course, we see that in what? Judges chapter 5, remember? Deborah and Barak went to war against Sisera and the and uh, Canaanites that held the children of Israel in bondage, and God used hail to defeat Sisera and the Canaanites. Also, in Joshua chapter 10, right? As God used hail against the Amorites. And he goes on in verse 25 and saying, Do you understand the rain? Have you divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is a no man, to satisfy the desolate waste, the cause that brings forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father or has been begotten the drops of dew from whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives its birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. Do you understand the nature of rain? Do you understand, you know, the nature of the constellations in verses 30 through 33 as he talks about Pleiades and Horizon and Maseroth in its season, the great bear and its cubs in verse 32? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? He knows every star, and he knows them by name, doesn't he? He set them in place. And again, you know, as he talks about the thunder and the lightning and, and the hail, one of the things that I know I probably told you this before and mentioned it, but I love to watch thunderstorms in the summer, don't you? I can sit there for hours, and we happen to live um, up on a little bit of a hill where we can see on either side either thunderstorms up in Wyoming or out east here, and I can sit there and just watch them. And I love, you know, watching storms. Matter of fact, I get myself in trouble sometimes because Sue's like, get out of there, you know. And, and um, you know, I, I, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably be a storm chaser. That's probably what I would be because <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds, verse 34? An abundance of water may cover you. Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, Here we are, who has put wisdom in the mind or has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can pour out the bottles of heaven when the dust hardens and clamps and the clogged clings together? Can you hunt the prey of the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lurk in, in, in the liars to lie in wait? Who provides food for the ravens and when its young ones cry to God and wonder about a lack of food. So God provides, you know, food for the animals. He's in control. Um, he is the one that, as chapter 39, he continues. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when the, they bear young? They bow down. They bring forth their young. They del deliver their offspring. Their young ones are healthy, and they grow strong with grain. And they depart and do not return to them. So God continues to question Job, you know, 
are you aware of the birth of these animals, when the deer gives birth? That's one of the things I really like about springtime is, um, you know, when the animals are young. I remember a couple of years ago, right across the street, there was a fox that had a den and had five pups and just little tiny things, and they'd get out and play in the evening time, and it's just fun to watch that. And, and um, of course, we can go up in the mountains in, in the springtime and see the little baby elk and things like that and, and deer, and it's a wonderful time of the year. You know, when the bear gives its cubs, and it's nothing that's, you know, just exciting to see little bear cubs if you ever have opportunity to do that. Do you know about those things, you know? Because God does. He knows about every sparrow that falls to the ground, Jesus said. He knows about everything, and he knows about you. In verse 5, who set the wild donkey free? The wild ox, you know, or the wild donkey here. Um, who loosed the bonds of the onager? Uh, the onager is um, just uh, just another name of a, a species of a wild donkey, uh, whose home I have made the wilderness and barren land is dwelling. He scorns the tumult of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture. He searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox be willing to serve you? Will he bed by your manger? Can you bind uh, the wild ox of the feral with ropes? Or he plow the valleys behind you? Will you trust him because his strength is great? Or will you leave your labor to him? Will you trust him to bring home your grain and to gather it to your threshing floor? So here, you know, do you know about the wild donkey? Do you know about the wild ox? Some think that he's talking about the aurochs. What's an aurochs? An auroch was um, an animal that became extinct in the 1600s. It was an ox, but a lot bigger. It was huge. It was fierce. It refused to be domesticated. And that's what it seems like that God is talking about with Job. A little bit smaller than an elephant. Can you imagine an ox that huge, you know, that's fierce and are coming at you and, and all of this? He says, do you understand these things? And he goes on in verse 13, the, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly and are her wings and pinions like the kindly storks, for she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without concern because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. When she lifts herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. Now, I do wonder if, as he talks about the ostrich here, if Job was thinking, what is an ostrich? Because an ostrich is where? In Australia. He's in the east, in the Middle East. So he's probably thinking, what is an ostrich here? You know, um, stands seven to eight feet high, weighs about 300 pounds, can run 40 miles an hour. But God didn't give, you know, the ostrich much understanding. They're not the smartest bird. They, they walk on their huge eggs. Um, they crush them. When they're scared of danger, they stick their head in the sand, thinking that the danger will go away or the enemy will go away. You know, we can do that Spiritually. When there are things that we need to do, what is right, it may be in decisions that we need to make for our kids. It may be in, in 
in bringing correction to somebody or even in our own lives, situations that we know to be right. And we think, well, you know what? This is kind of scary. I don't want people not to like me. And I hope this goes away or I don't have to face this. And we can stick our heads in the sand thinking it'll just all go away. And I understand that. There are times where I, I wish there was a big rock that I can crawl under. I'm still looking for that big rock at times because I don't want to face certain things or have to say certain things or whatever. But whenever God puts a conviction on our hearts and we know we have to do what is right or say what is right, then we just let God take care of it and allow God to bless us. But we don't want to be Christians that stick our heads in the sand, you know, thinking everything will just go by and everything will be all right. And then he, he goes on, and, and as we finish here tonight, in verse 19 through 25, he talks about the horse. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? And, and um, you know, how mighty the horse is. And, and then in verse 26 through 30, does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle mount up at your command and makes its nest on high? The other day I saw two bald eagles. Um, we're, we're fortunate in this part of you know, the country where this time of the year we can see bald eagles, particularly along the river. And I love seeing them and hawks and, and um, you know, the migratory birds when you really kind of study them, how incredible all that is, you know, how the barn swallow will go from Canada all the way down to Argentina and then back up to Canada again. Uh, it's incredible how God made that. Can you understand that, Job? And if I can take care of all that... I can take care of you, and I can work in your life, and he will work in your life as well. Well, we're going to continue next week as we'll finish the book of Job as he talks about his omnipotence, and he's getting Job to understand that I am all-powerful, all-knowing, and Job, I love you. And the wondrous works of God are incredible. And as we come to the communion table tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to serve communion like we do on Sunday morning because Wednesday nights have, have gotten, you know, big enough to where the lines are just getting too long when we come and get our own communion. So we're going to pass it out. I want you to really take time right now as, as Travis is going to come up and play his guitar and, and for us to just have a time of worship. Remember his marvelous works. And he did it because of his love for you. That as you hold the elements in your hand, and then we'll partake of communion together as we do on Sunday. Remember that he allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. And you and I are in good hands because we're in the shepherd's hand. His hands that were pierced for you and for me. Always keep that in mind. And let's really focus on him. Let's focus and get our understanding on what he has done for us, his marvelous works. <laughs> and who he is, a loving God that loves us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time tonight as, as we are concluding the book of Job, knowing that we can trust you with our lives, and, Lord, trust you with whatever it is that we face. Right now, I pray that as we come to the communion table, as it's served to us, that we would just worship and once again be reminded of your wondrous works the one who created the heavens and the earth, who commands the lightning bolt, you know, makes a pathway, and the rain and the, and the hail and the snow. He created all the wonderful animals and, and the universe and put the constellations in place. We are just at awe that you would be mindful of us.
and to send your son to die for us. So may we just worship right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.